Dear God, we just thank you so much for this opportunity we have to worship you, to, um, to gather together and sing you praise. You certainly are worthy of it. It's such a sweet thing to be able to break from the, the distractions in life and the challenges and enter your courts with our thanksgiving and our praise. We admit this morning that we don't need me. We don't need more of us. We just need more of you. So I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts in this place, in Tremont this morning, that you would be stirring up stuff that needs to be stirred up, that you'll be challenging those of us who need challenge, encouraging us and helping us to find our, our strength in you. We're looking forward to how you're going to use your word in our lives today and this week in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we are in the fourth, fourth message in our series called Four, but it's a little tricky because there's actually five messages in this, but this one today is our last one talking about our vision, and today we're talking about how we are for you. So far, we've talked about how we are for Jesus. This is in order, and our priorities and our vision all right here in this like flag in the mountain, line in the sand, stake in the ground kind of series about who we are as a church. And um, we talked about how we are for Jesus first. That's what drives us. We are for Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. We want to live Jesus out. We want others to see Jesus in us. Jesus is the name above all names, and we are all about Jesus here at Grace Free Church. Um, and we're for Schuylkill County. That's the mission field God has called us to for Schuylkill County. It's not far off. It's right here. God's going to do something through you. And he's going to start doing it where you live, where you work, on your street, in your neighborhood. And for us as a church, it starts right here in Schuylkill County. And uh, then we talked about how we are for your friends and family who don't go to church. It's a really important distinction. We are for them. We believe God is for them. Even if they never show up to church, we want to live our lives in such a way that we spread hope and light and salvation everywhere we go. And this week, we are for you. Now, um, before we get into it and I read this, I just want to say, welcome, Grace Tremont. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to you guys here at Grace Cresona. Thanks for being here with us. We're so glad that you joined us. I got, I, I got to tell you something, like um, we're kind of being held hostage a little bit this morning. I, I got word last week that our lead technician who does all the tech in Tremont is a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. So, Mike, Yay. please don't cut the feed. <laughs> I promise I will not be making any more Eagles jokes this year. Actually, I can't promise that. I, sh I shouldn't promise that. But I thank you, Mike, for showing me grace. Also, it's really cool. My favorite person in Pine Grove is joining us in Tremont this morning. BW, thanks for being there. And uh, you guys ready to jump into it? Can I start by reading you Mark chapter? Get your Bibles out. If you need a Bible, we give Bibles out every week. We have a ton of them. Just see the welcome table on the way out. If you're in Tremont, you can see Ryan, the drummer, the campus pastor, on your way out. We'll get you a Bible. We love giving Bibles away. Um, I don't have anything to say, but this does. Mark chapter 1, in verse 40, 
I'm going to read it to you. Uh, we, we were working on this message in uh, my dad, who is Connection Care Pastor's hospital room this week, and I kept trying to dodge this one. You'll see in a, in a minute. And, uh, but he insisted that this was the one. And after 8 o'clock this morning, I, I think he was definitely on to something here. Um, ready? Mark chapter 1 and verse 40 says this. A man with leprosy, it's a skin disease, uh, no cure at that time, uh, came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. It says here in verse 41, and this is, this is reading in the NIV, that's what we use most weeks, so there are many translations that maybe some of you even have. All of these translations take the original manuscripts that we have written you know, a long time ago, while these disciples still walked the earth, they they, they take these original manuscripts that were written in Greek and they translate them into a language that captures not just the actual words they were saying, but the context of the passage, the context of the book, the context of everything. And they capture all of it and they try to put it in a way where we can get the clearest understanding of what actually was going on. They don't dodge anything. They don't try to dress it up. Their goal is accuracy. And so... There's lots of translations, but listen to this in the NIV. Jesus was indignant. <laughs> Uh-oh. Moved by anger is how some translations have it. If you see your Bible saying he was moved with compassion or Jesus was compassionate in there too, most of the Greek manuscripts have the Greek word that translates best to compassionate. That's why there's some notes in your Bible. It might say, moved by compassion, if you're in an NIV down in the bottom note. If you're looking at something else, it'll have a note that says a few manuscripts have this as moved by anger or indignant. So this is where we, st we get stuck here for a second. What are you talking about? Jesus is angry here? But if you continue reading and just give me a second, we'll get back to that in a second, it says that he reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter town openly, but stayed outside in the lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This whole indignant thing. It made me want to jump to one of the other accounts of this same story and one of the other gospels to preach it because in the other accounts, they leave the feelings all out of it. But here in the book of Mark, Mark who authored this under, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, every word meant to be there, every word for a reason from God to us, Mark decided in his account of the same story that Matthew left the emotion of Jesus out of it, that Luke left the emotion of Jesus Mark here feels it's important to tell us 
what he thinks, what, what is going on with Jesus. In some Bibles translated compassion, in some Bibles translated indignant. And here's the problem I have. My dad hates the indignant translation, and he's a Greek scholar much more than I am. So we'll, we'll lean towards his assessment of it along with the majority of scholars who would agree with him. But, but here's what I think happens why we get nervous about seeing indignant in there, why it messes us with us a little bit. It's because we're constantly reading ourselves into other people's anger. Come on, you know you do it. You come home and you get a look. And that look could be about anything. It could be about the dog just, you know, doing something it shouldn't do in a place it shouldn't do it. It could be about the kids running wild for the last four hours. It could be about a terrible phone call she just got off the phone with. But when you walk in that door and you get that look, you think, uh-oh, what I do, right? You start looking for the tells around, the anger tells. Are they angry at me? Did I forget something? Should I have wrote something down? Like, uh, do I need to do, do something? What did I say wrong? What did I do wrong? Am I late? What's going on? Like, we, we always infer ourselves into other people's emotions. That, that Facebook post must have been about me. I shouldn't have said it that way. I, I knew I shouldn't have said it that way. So when we see indignant we think it's an anger tell from God that is about us. But it doesn't say why he was indignant or why he was moved by compassion. Those things are left out of the passage. Maybe he was mad that, that this guy had leprosy. Maybe he was mad because lepers in their day and age were not just viewed as social outcasts. I mean, these people would have been kicked out of their homes, out of their jobs, out of their towns, forced out of the city to live outside in caves sometimes, in communities of other people with leprosy. I mean, think about how tough that would have been to leave all the people you love, all that you care about, and have to go live away from all them. No contact, no care, no love. It's a very lonely thing to be a social outcast. Some of you know because you feel like that. You feel like you're alone in a room full of people. You feel like you're just always sad and nothing ever helps that. You feel like there's something wrong or different about you and you don't quite fit in. On top of that, though, this guy with leprosy also would have been viewed as a spiritual outcast. You see, the people in this day and age, they would have looked at this skin disease, this condition, and they would have thought to themselves or communicated with each other that this must mean this person is cursed by God. Maybe it's because of that hidden sin, you know, the kind, the kind you tuck away in your heart and you don't want anybody to know about or see, kind that the memory of it fills you with shame and disappointment, that kind of thing. Maybe they even said, okay, if, if he had leprosy from a young age, maybe it wasn't just that he did something that God is punishing him for. Maybe it's that his parents did something terrible, and this is punishment from God to the parents and to the child. That's how they viewed it. And so somebody with leprosy was an outcast on the fringes. They, they thought that they were a living example of an angry God punishing a person. Does that sound ridiculous? 
I, I don't know, because I think sometimes we, we still infer that if God is angry, he must be angry at us. That if the situation is difficult, I must have done something wrong. That when things aren't going right and I'm dealing with pain in my life, it must be punishment. And, th and these aren't feelings that like people who are new to church feel. These are exact questions and comments that I get from people who have been following Jesus since Moses parted the Red Sea, you know, like... <laughs> Is God angry at me? I, I have anger tells. My dad has an anger tell. Like, if you learn to catch it, you can see right away. He's got, like, a little vein that pops out right here. Do you know people that have anger tells? My anger tells are, like, straight up MC Hammer. Do you know who MC Hammer is? Or am I, is that too old for some of you pups out there? MC Hammer, look him up later. You'll thank me. For sure. For those of you that were blessed to go to like high school in the 90s, I wasn't. I just love history. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm like, you, you can't touch this. Not like, I, I wish it was like you got to pray just to make it today by MC Hammer. That's not how I get angry. I get angry like, you can't touch this. Nah, 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 right? Like, don't touch me when I'm angry. Don't, don't touch me when I'm angry. It doesn't matter. I, I love you. Don't touch me. I, I don't. I, whatever we're going, like, that's how I've always been. I just get all anger, and somebody will inevitably see me angry, whether it's my mom or, or Jen or, or one of my kids even. They'll be, like, trying to, like, oh, calm you down, pat you on the back, you know, like, even a little Rob. I'm just, I can't deal with it. Like, I'm just, like, don't touch me. I don't want to be touched when I'm angry. And here you have a guy, right, who, who would have done anything to be touched by somebody, I mean, that's what this disease did. Incurable, isolating. The, the, the thing we need most, the thing he probably was desperate for, just to be touched by another human being and to feel loved. Maybe he missed it. He drops down to Jesus and says this. Are you willing? <laughs> Never had there been such a bigger question with an understatement of the year as an answer. Yes, I'm willing. You're willing to touch the untouchable? <laughs> yes, I'm willing. And then I think sometimes we walk around and we think we're untouchable. I thank God for the, for the lepers he touched and healed because there's a lot of times in my life that I feel like I'm too broken to be touched by God. I'm too, too much of a mess. Maybe you feel like this. You're, you're too dirty. You're too broken. You're too hurt. You're too sad. You're too wrong. You can't come to church because the church would melt if you stepped into it because of the junk in your past or the struggle in your present. You, we, we look at ourselves and we often think, man, like I'm untouchable. Like I, I need to be touched, but it's too scary. It's too vulnerable. It's too uncomfortable. I need something to fix it. But we feel so untouchable. 
Are you willing, Jesus? And Jesus does something incredible. He touches the untouchable part. Whatever stuff you have going on in your life, whatever challenge or obstacle, whatever pain that you've been carrying, whatever mistakes you've wrestled with, whatever, whatever, there's nothing untouchable for Jesus. He wants to reach right past whatever shame you have, whatever guilt you've been carrying, whatever brokenness, whatever hurt, whatever scars keep you up at night. He, he wants to touch all of it. He's the one who can make you clean. He's the one who can fix what's broken. He's the one who will touch the untouchable. He's the one who can heal the unhealable. He's the one Messiah God sent to earth for you. For you, whoever you are. And yet we let these, uh, these things like create barriers between us and him. We, we can't pray because we feel like we messed up too bad. We can't, we can't worship because we feel like we're not good enough. Or we, we get so caught up in this whole idea. Is God really for me? This leper banked it all on this idea that just maybe, maybe, despite what everybody said, despite being cursed by God, despite all of the problems he felt, all the heartache, all the terrible things he had heard said by others, despite the isolation, despite the uncomfortableness of it all, he left the shadows and fell down at Jesus, basing, laying everything at his feet on this one idea that maybe God is for him and maybe this Jesus is the proof. Yeah. <laughs> this Jesus who touched the worst of him was willing. He'll break through whatever you got if you just let him. Whatever you've been carrying, he'll carry it for you. Whatever you've been dealing with, he'll help give you clarity and wisdom and help you walk through it. Whatever makes you weak, he'll give you strength to get through. He'll, he'll touch the worst part of you and he can make it new. And willing is the biggest understatement ever given. Am I willing? <laughs> That's why he's here. Willing. It's the biggest understatement, like John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Maybe you've heard that verse before, maybe you haven't. So love. I one time heard a preacher named Judas Smith talk about a whole sermon based on that idea of so love. He said, so love is the kind of love that makes me run down the sideline as a crazy soccer dad screaming at officials and kids and jumping up and down like a crazy person who just lost his mind. That's so love. So love is the kind of love that will cross an ocean just because of love. So love is the kind of love that has grown men like 
painting their chest at high school football games as their kid runs around out there on the field. So love is a kind of crazy love, no whole bars kind of love, unconditional love. So love is the best kind of love, even though it looks a little crazy sometimes. So love is the kind of love God has for you. And Jesus is the proof that God's for you. Romans 8, it says this. Um, in, in kind of like this last summary, after a bunch of incredible chapters in the book of Romans written by Paul, he's kind of talking about suffering and heaven and the hope that we have, even when things seem hopeless in the verses before this. But then in verse 31, it kind of like takes this absolutely incredible summary here and breaks everything all down before he moves on to his next kind of like point in chapter 9. And it says this, it says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question. If God is for us, it doesn't matter what's against us. If God is for us, it doesn't matter what obstacles stand in front of us, what challenges we have to face. If God is for us, it doesn't matter what other people say about us. If God is for us, it doesn't matter if everybody thinks we're cursed because of some junk we got in our past. If God is for us, it doesn't matter whether we're a social outcast or a spiritual outcast. It doesn't matter if people don't think we belong. If God is for us, it doesn't matter what mountain's standing in front of us. It doesn't matter what valley we have to walk through. If God is for us, who could be against us? And he lays out four things here, like just as proof. He goes on and he says, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. And if you don't think that God is for you, then you don't understand Jesus at all. God is for you. The proof is Jesus. If Jesus is the son of God come to earth, and I believe he is, but I know some of you are still on the fence about it. If Jesus is the son of God who died on a cross perfect for us to pay for all the sin and brokenness and pain that we have brought to this world and we carry around with us and participate in, if Jesus came and died for us on that cross and then rose again so that we could have proof of the hope that we profess that our story doesn't end in death. If Jesus is true, how could you ever think that God is not madly in love with you? How could you ever think that God isn't for you? He, along with him, graciously gives us all things. I don't always get what I want. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus, for that, right? Like, but I've always gotten what I need. God has graciously, like, continued to pour out and walk with us, his presence being known in overlooked moments every day of our life. His whisper 
being lost in the cloud of distraction we immerse ourselves in, but it's always been there reassuring and guiding and directing me. The spirit inside of us helping us find the right way, convicting us when we get off track and then reassuring us and strengthening us and providing us power to go through life. He graciously gives us all things. And if you could step back from your moment and take an honest look at your past, you'd see he's always been for you. And he's always been with you. Sometimes loudly and sometimes gently calling you back home. He goes on, number one proof that God is for us, Jesus, and he graciously gives us all things. He goes on, he says, who will bring any charge against you? Some versions have accused you in there. Those against whom God has chosen, it is God who justifies. If God is for you and you belong to him through faith, there's nobody that can charge you. There's nobody that can accuse you. The devil himself loses his gusto when he tries to trap you in his accusations and lies about how jacked up you are and about how untouchable and unforgivable you are because Jesus did it all for you. No one can accuse you. Who then is the one who condemns, pronounces your doom, your punishment, declares that you're toast, it's over, you're stuck and sunk, it's never going to be. Who then can condemn you? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God advocating and interceding for us. Jesus isn't just your savior. He's not just proof that God is for you. He is a continual advocate and intercessor for you. That means even when you are crushed and you don't have the words to pray, even when you're confused and you're not sure what to do next, even when you think you're too broken to talk to God or he must be angry or disappointed in you, so how dare you approach him? Even when you buy into that garbage, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, interceding and praying on your behalf, Amen. advocating for you. He's for you. As if that wasn't enough, it ends in spectacular fashion. Who, Paul asks, the last question of the chapter, who shall separate us than from the love of Christ. He goes on to list a bunch of things like that maybe would be options we think about. Hardship, persecution, some of you guys are in the middle of that right now. Famine, nakedness or danger or sword. He goes on and says, as it's written, for your sake we face death all day long, we consider sheep to be slaughtered, a little shout out to how difficult and painful life can get. But then the summary continues, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Just let these words roll into your heart this morning. Whoever you are, wherever you're sitting, whatever is going on, let these next words just hit you different. 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hey, God is so for you. Whoever you are, whatever life looks like, don't buy the lies from the accuser, the one who would rather you live feeling condemned. Buy the truth from Jesus about who you are in him. I, I, I want to make just two suggestions here before we end. The first is this. Let God be for you. Let him be for you. He is, but we put up this stiff arm. This safe distance we think we create from us and God. We, we hold back so much. Maybe it's because we're afraid of making a mistake. We don't know enough. We, don't, we, we think people will look at us funny. We're not sure. We're uncomfortable. It feels vulnerable. I don't know why we try to keep God at a safe distance from us when all he wants to do is give us everything we need. Give us himself. And maybe you've been holding back from God. Afraid of just taking that like final step of faith and just saying, here's my life. You can have it. I don't know why you want it, but you can have it. I don't know why you want this brokenness, but it's yours. I don't know why you, I, I don't think I deserve it, but here, fine, take it. Just let God before you accept what he's offering in faith. Just say, God, I, I don't know. I need you. Forgive me for all the ways I've turned from you. I give you my heart. Just thank you for your love. And then the second suggestion is this. Let us be for you too. God has given us each other. Not to judge or point out all the different ways we mess things up. Not to make life harder to be a burden. Not so that we have to put on these shows or act like we have it all together all the time. He's given us each other to just walk through life together so that we could grow closer to him together. If you know God's for you, great. Let us be for you too. Don't just stop holding back from him. Stop holding back from the community God has put you as a part of so that you can grow and flourish and know his love, how deep it is, how wide it is, this incredible love Jesus has for you. God is for you. I'm up against some really big challenges in life. Maybe you are too. And as difficult as days may seem sometimes, as challenging as life gets, as confusing and as heartbreaking as it can be, like if you know God is for you, 
you can know it's all going to be okay. That he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And that whatever challenges you have to walk through this week or this month or this year, through his presence, he will be providing you with everything you need. God is for you. And we are too. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful. We're thankful for your love. Thankful that it's not just some love that we hear about. It's a love that was demonstrated on the cross and through the empty tomb for us. That while we were still sinners, you died for us. Wow. All we are left to do is just accept this incredible gift of grace through faith and to say thank you. Thank you for being a God who is for us, for being a God who loves us, for being a God who is whispering in our ear, sometimes banging the cymbals in life, trying to get us, get our attention and drawing us back to the source of life and light, you. I'm thankful that like Deuteronomy 30, it's not something crazy you placed over the ocean or put too far out of reach or something that we need to be super smart to figure out. It's been simple this entire time. You came for us. You died for us. You rose again for us. You are for us. And that just is so crazy good. I pray that you would help us to see you with fresh eyes this week and see others that way too. I pray that you would give us strength, those of us who need strength to get through the challenges and obstacles we face this week. I pray that you would give encouragement to those who are discouraged this morning, that you would give hope to those who are hopeless, that that we would find you as the source of everything we need, that we wouldn't stiff arm you, that we would lean in to who you are and what you want to do in our lives. We give you our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.